0: My name is Herb. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm going to facilitate our gathering today. I am just really excited uh, both to be here with you, but also this topic. It's a a little out of the mainstream for all of us, I believe, especially for me, and um, as a formal topic. So I'm looking forward to having a discussion First though, I want to reach out to Melissa, who is our host from the Retreat Center today. They support us in everything. And so, Melissa, take it away.
1: Good morning and good afternoon to everybody. I hope everyone is doing well. My name is Melissa. And I'm here at the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center, and I'm a workaholic. So I don't know if that counts.
0: (laughs) Oh, it counts. Only if it's a problem. (laughs) From my standpoint, it's a gift. So you keep doing it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Um, We are here at Rancho Palos Verdes. Our retreat center has been here since 1963. We were established by the daughters of Mary and Joseph, envisioned by the late sister, Mary Ignatius. Um, Herb is not just only a friend to our retreat center, he's also family. Herb Kagan has been connected to the Mary and Joseph retreat center for many years, and he is truly part of our family. His 12 step and centering prayer groups have been extremely popular at the retreat center for decades. And now since the start of the pandemic, he has moved these popular offerings to Zoom. Herb's journey includes seven years in Claritian Seminary, a graduate education in psychology, 40 years in human resources consulting, certification as a spiritual director, 37 years of active participation in a 12 step fellowship and the publication of three books on spiritual awakening. Wow, amazing work. We are delighted that he is donating the proceeds of these Zoom meetings to our retreat center during this difficult time. Thank you so much, Herb. Take it away. Oh,
0: thank you, Melissa. Wonderfully framed. So I'm in a 12-step program and have been since 1984. I got a sponsor right away. When I discovered I was alcoholic and was attending meetings. I worked the steps on my own because that's the instruction I got. It wasn't very good instruction and I didn't do a very decent job by my standards today of working the steps, but I did the best I could in 1988. I connected to a man who was a mechanic with the big book, a real wisdom experienced teacher of teachers. And he took me through the steps out of the big book, like a project manner, I call it a step guide. He didn't become my sponsor. I had a sponsor. I kept him for 30 years until he moved out of the area I believe in geographically local sponsorship so that we can periodically visit. As a result of the work I did, I had a huge transformation and it continued with the continued work that I did three more times with three different step guides mechanics with the big book. And as a result of that, I developed a, a not a capacity, but a uh, capability. Yeah, that's the word, with uh, communicating the step process. And our local roundup asked me to do some work with them on an annual basis, which I'm honored and pleased to do. And at one point they said, this year's topic is going to be happiness. Would you do a two hour workshop on happiness? I said, oh, yes, I will, but I know nothing about it formally. And so that was the prompter for what we're going to do today. And that was about four or five years ago. And I've been studying it gently since then. But at at the time, in preparation for the workshop, I did quite a bit of reading to get the sort of the formal framework. I was quite a happy guy, quite, in fact, changed with a completely new attitude and behavior as a result of the step work and my commitment to steps 10, 11, and 12 especially, but I didn't know the formal skeleton structure and foundation from a sociological or a psychological or a academic research basis. So I began looking for the books on happiness. And I found that it's been quite a interesting topic for about 25 years. It started with the University of Pennsylvania, I believe, uh, a a fellow named Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N, PhD clinical psychologist, professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And he asked this question, brilliant insight. He said, you know, for a hundred years we've been studying abnormal psychology. We've done some great work. We understand human development and human psychology and all of the manifestations of trauma. We really do understand it a lot and have some effective mechanisms to deal with it. But, you know, the world is still pretty sick. What about if we turned it upside down, inside out? And rather than studying abnormal psychology, we studied normal psychology. Oh, Rather than looking at the deviations, how about what does it mean to be a decent, full, optimally living human being? And thus begun positive psychology. Harvard picked that up and developed a whole school. Literally, they have a school, a complete graduate school on happiness in the year 2000. And as a result of their research, there's been several books, I read about 10 of them from University of Pennsylvania and Seligman's work. His the, the title of his work is Flourish, which coincidentally has been the word I've consistently used since 1988 about my life, which made it a wonderful synchronicity. <clears throat> and, and then the, the Harvard studies and the Dalai Lama has a book on happiness. And uh, he did that with the uh, Nelson Mandela. So, A lot of people have been paying attention to what what is happiness? At the same time, in the last probably 15 or 20 years, I've been working with, as a co-facilitator, Dr. Alan Berger, who is a PhD clinical psychologist. He was my therapist at one point, the clinical director of the program that my wife went through for her own personal recovery in 1984. And then we became friends and then we became colleagues in terms of co-presenting emotional sobriety. And that work on emotional sobriety is so integrated with the 12 steps and with the entire concept of happiness as I've interpreted it. I'm saying all this because I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a researcher. I don't have any degrees of beyond the, the undergraduate degree. I have no certifications. All right. So I'm not a specialist, um, but I'm a seeker and I go to where the specialists are to try to understand different components of human nature and human behavior. And so that's the background for what we'll be looking at today. I'm going to use PowerPoint a lot It's gonna be a formal presentation with a lot of informality. Um, I've got a a lot of information here and a lot of slides. It may be that it's too many, it usually is. And um, so don't mind if we move past some of them as I feel that it's either redundant or not applicable at that particular moment. Um, You know who I am. So, join me in the serenity prayer. This is the prayer of emotional serenity, emotional sobriety. This is the prayer that really will lead to happiness. Because I've now studied the prayer and embraced it as part of my morning meditation and reflection. Essentially, it's saying, Well, what is reality? What can I influence? What can't I influence? I can't figure that out. I need the gift of wisdom. That's what the serenity prayer is all about. What is reality? We don't, we don't need God. We don't need spirituality. We don't need anything in fourth dimension necessarily. I'm saying that to the agnostics and the atheists and the negative and the resistance of anybody out there to beginning anything with prayer. Prayer is merely an acknowledgement that I want to be more conscious. Prayer doesn't change anything outside of me. I do believe prayer is an intention that gets translated into words that changes everything inside of me. With that frame of reference, please join me. I prefer that you and I recommend and invite you and recommend that you pray out loud. You're on mute to avoid the cacophony of a multitude of voices and timing. You're welcome to pray quietly. You're welcome not to pray at all. But think the thought at the very least. Think the thought, a positive thought about wanting wisdom. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. So ask yourself a question. The questions are so much more important than the answers. Oh, I have lots of answers today. Answers that have come from research from very credible, scientific, spiritually developed people. Not necessarily both of those together, <laughs> one or the other, or sometimes in the same person. The questions are so much more important than the answers. Do I have a sense of well being today, as you're sitting here today? These are prelude questions to the Research and the process and the knowledge and the words I'm going to use to unpack happiness. A sense of well being is, of course, the foundation of happiness. Do I have a sense of contentment? If you're in early recovery, these might seem like trick questions. If you're not exposed to recovery, some of the vocabulary I use will be like translating Greek. I'm not gonna take a lot of time to do that translation. Try to just stay with it and approach it with common sense because the words I use, even though they might be foreign to you, will have their root in common sense. Do I have, and if you have paper and a pen, and I hope you do, not because I'm going to say anything remarkable, but because I'm going to ask you questions. And yes, you could think about the questions and you could reflect on the questions and you could even come to some conclusions inside your head about the questions. But if you write down the question and your reflection and your answer and your questions about the question, you will engage with this process and you will have an experience. I'm going to stop this for a minute because, as I say, I'm going to be very spontaneous with this. We'll just, it might get a little herky-jerky, but stay with us. The man who took me through the steps in 1988 said, Herb, wow, after an hour's conversation, you have a lot of information. Oh, my God. You were a... Studying to be a Catholic priest, you were a monk for seven years, you studied psychology, you did therapy and all that work for five years, and all this human development work, and now you're in AA and you sponsor people. Oh my God, Herb, you have a lot of information, but you have very little transformation. Blew the curtains open for me. I intuitively saw what he was talking about and I knew he knew the truth. He knew that I did not know that I did not know. The questions were the method to open up those curtains, to deconstruct the Hollywood storefront that I had, created that false self that hollywood storefront i had created as a survival mechanism all my life and it worked until it didn't and the process of the steps was for the deconstruction of that hollywood storefront that wall that i built to protect myself that had become my prison and the questions were the beginning of that. Happiness is an inside job. That was the title of the talk from the roundup. And they gave that to me to develop some discussion around an inside job. Well, those of you in a 12-step program, any 12-step program of any duration has developed this reality, this awareness that it's what's inside that needs to change, not what's outside. And so the question again is so much more important than the answer. One of my teachers is Richard Rohr, R-O-H-R, a Franciscan priest a brilliant man, a prolific writer, probably a mystic and a prophet in a very simple and humble way. He doesn't know anything about the 12-step program at one time 25, 30 years ago. As a result of some exposure that he's had, he he knows a lot more about it now. He hasn't got a personal experience with it because he's not a addict or he's not in a 12-step program but he because of his own background and evolution he's been able to understand it and he wrote his own book on spirituality and the 12 steps he calls it breathing underwater but he said ask the question and allow the question to bubble in the milieu of prayer without being answered and get some information, holding the question, not answering the question, but being open in your mind and your heart to the question. Get some information and take some action. Maybe the writing that I suggested is the action that will Open the curtain for you today so that you can see behind the curtain at who's pulling the puppet strings in your life. You'll have an experience. The dynamic is leading back to the question. Notice it didn't lead you to an answer. It led you to an experience. We brought up some more questions. And this is what I call a dynamic process that just continues. Yes, I have lots of answers because I've asked questions and I've got information and I've taken action, mostly because I've had an experience that journey from the head to the heart, that journey from the heart to the feet. If it doesn't get translated to the feet, it's interesting information, but irrelevant for my personal life. Einstein agrees. This man in 1988 quoted Einstein there at the coffee table in a restaurant, our very first meeting. I didn't even know who he was. I had to ask his name and his background, but he had said some things that were wise and it wasn't the words that attracted me. It was the tone in his voice that resonated with me and became the magnet in me that pointed north. The consciousness that creates the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. Brilliant. My mind is defective. My mind is delusional. My mind will lie to me and I will not know it's delusional and it's a lie. I will believe it as the truth and I'll base my life and actions on it and I suffer because I'm dealing with a lie. It's not reality. It's my perception of reality. And I learned that I don't see reality as it is. This is emotional sobriety. I do not see reality as it is. I see reality as I am. Everything I see is a projection of me. Now, my lenses are a lot clearer now As I've had them ground through the 12-step process, through a consistent practice of meditation in the morning for 32 years, 33 now. My consciousness has improved. That's the word used in step 11, isn't it? Sought through prayer and meditation to improve my consciousness. That's the point of step 11. Step 11 isn't to feel good. Step 11 isn't to be good. Step 11 isn't to be healthy. Step 11 isn't to feel serene. Step 11 isn't to have good feelings. Step 11 is not to have better relationships. Oh, if you do step 11, all of that will happen. But the mission statement of step 11 is right in the step itself. To improve my conscious contact with God. Now, you could substitute the word G-O-D, substitute that word with reality with a capital R. It's a great, great meditation. I want to see reality as it is, not as I am. In light of that, I was given a set-aside prayer. It's based on some lines in the big book, which are interesting but not relevant for our time together today. Originally, I had crafted this prayer. God, please help me set aside everything. I hope you heard what I just said. It's different than what's on the PowerPoint. God, please help me. After three years of praying that prayer and being consistent in my meditation, I realized, oh, my God, I have still, even in this prayer, attempted to maintain control. God, please help me. So I changed it. God, please set aside. That's a direct prayer for intervention spiritual intervention come into my heart come into my soul come into my mind bring a crowbar bring a wonderful eraser to clean up the whiteboard so that it's all clean and you can write on it so that I will have new information and a new experience but I used the term alcohol in the beginning then addiction then disease These are iterations that happened over time in my workshop, and then for 20 years, or maybe 25, I've used brokenness. Those of you who have been exposed to me, that's the prayer that you probably have as a recommendation. My brokenness. Well, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, in preparation for a new series of workshops that I'll be doing on a weekly basis, I'm rethinking this based on some input I've received from the workshop participants about the, almost the inadequacy or the inappropriateness of the word brokenness. And I heard it. And over time, it became actually a, a repugnant word for me. and I have been in the last three to five years, notice all of the years I'm talking about, this is a process of awakening. This is a process of development. This is a process like the dimmer switch, the real stat that goes up a notch at a time or goes down a notch at a time. When it goes up, there's more light. When it goes down, there's more darkness. So thinking about the details. I've focused in the last three to five years on steps 10, 11, and 12, as I express it, the best kept secret in the rooms of 12-step fellowship. What does it mean, unmanageability, the second half of the first step? What does it mean in step 10, we're not cured, we have a daily reprieve based on the, uh, our spiritual condition? What does all that mean? Oh, the heart of the matter is not addiction, is not disease, it's not our brokenness. The heart of the matter, the spiritual malady, is unmanageability. And I didn't know that I didn't know. And I discovered that at 10 years of sobriety, unmanageability as the bedevilments, the behavioral description of unmanageability on page 52. And the description of the exact nature of unmanageability the spiritual malady on pages 60 to 62 make notes don't try to do the reading right now make notes just listen as we i'm only beginning and i'm already way behind (laughs) but my point is i've changed this very thoughtfully now to be part of the set aside prayer my unmanageability this is the human problem. This is the impediment to happiness, our unmanageability. Oh, of course our addiction makes us unmanageable. But what happens when we have six months or a year of abstinence from our addiction or five years or 10 years or one or two or three decades? I know lots of people with one and two and three years decades that I would not spend five minutes with because They're twisted human beings. They haven't done the work. They haven't had the curtain part. They haven't had the light shine and walk in the sunlight of the spirit. Oh, I I guess I jumped the gun here. So let's pray this prayer. What an introduction. I spent more time on it than I anticipated. But I'm excited about this new development. I hope it is helpful to you, not only the background, but the prayer itself. God, please set aside everything. Notice I'm inviting God to be the spiritual surgeon, the spiritual intervention. Come and do your work for me. I'm I'm consenting to it. I have nothing to do with it except my willingness to receive it. God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself, my unmanageability, my spiritual path, and you. For an open mind and a new experience with myself, my unmanageability, my spiritual path, and especially you. So who am I? Well, these are my definitions. They're summary definitions. They're not official. They're not scientific. They come from my background, my understanding, my philosophy, my exposure, my education, my experience. I'm a finite material being. Finite meaning I had a beginning and I'll have an end. Limited, material, meaning corruptible. I have a body. But so does a carrot. So does a monkey. A stone has a body. A carrot can grow, a stone can't. A carrot can grow, but it can't have feelings like a monkey can and learn like a monkey can. I'm not any different than a stone and a carrot and a monkey in all those respects related to my corporeal existence, my body, my biology, my physiology. So what makes me specifically human? This is the model I use for my step workshop and my approach to what I call my spiritual life. I just call my my optimal human life. I have a mind that knows. That's what makes me different than a monkey. A monkey can learn its condition response, it's a biochemical relationship <clears throat> in their physiological system. But I have all of that, but I know that I know. I can reflect on my knowing. I can step outside myself, transcend myself, and look at myself reasonably objectively or attempting to. No other sentient being can do that. That's what makes me human, a distinct, unique species. But if I don't make a decision and take action, nothing happens no matter what I know. So the other function that I have is my free will. I have free will. But as the big book points out rather starkly, in addiction, we don't have free will. Once I start, I cannot stop a problem of the body. Once I stop, I cannot stay stopped a problem of the mind. And I also have unmanageability. My life is unmanageable even when I'm in abstinence. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. I'm restless, irritable, and discontent. So what's the free will all about if it's not free in step one? Step two says, on page 53, God is or God isn't. What is your choice? We could translate it, make it more neutral, say. Reality is, with a capital R, there is a life force in reality that creates life in some fashion. Do you believe in that? Bill asks us on page 53, God is or God isn't. What is your choice? So the proper use of my will, which he then is consistent with throughout the book, especially in step 10, the proper use of the will is thy will be done. Now that's a prayer, but it's also a positive affirmation. Allow me to be in alignment with reality as it is, not as my delusion tells me I want it to be. See, that's emotional sobriety. That's also the key to happiness. There will be lots of redundancy here, but I think when we repeat it from different points of view and using different vocabulary and different words meaning the same thing, we begin to perceive it in its holistic structure. The real point here is, and I'm gonna stress it over and over and over again, the function of our mind is to know and the function of our will is to decide to take action. It's an interesting insight that I made some, several decades ago about the step process after I did it for the third time. All of the even steps are knowing steps. All of the odd steps are deciding and action steps. The 12 step process is a methodology built specifically for the human being as a human being. It's an amazing process. The most effective and integrated methodology of transformation that I've ever come across. I give you the Reader's Digest version of my history. I've been on this path of seeking since I was 12 years old. I didn't find until I was 48. The first time I did the steps out of the big book, I became a finder. I didn't find it all at once. It was like a treasure trove and I had to keep digging. Over the next 10 years going through the steps, three different times with three different teachers. I'll call them teachers, that's what they were. They taught me their knowledge and their understanding and their experience with the big big book, not so that I could have theirs, but that I could have mine. I am a finite created spirit. You've seen the terms, haven't you? Am I a human being seeking a human experience or am a spiritual experience or am I a spiritual being seeking a human experience? Great question. This is a confirmation from a diagram standpoint of what I just said. This is the way we're built. Notice the carrot. That's the brain stem. That's that little first brain that sits on top of your neck, on top of your spinal cord. It's called the brain stem. It's the first development in our animal nature. That over millions of years developed into the limbic system. That second brain that gives us the ability to have emotions that made us mammals. And then millions of years later of evolution. We don't need to explain it. We just need right now to observe it. It took millions of years for this human being to develop as a human being that had self-reflective ability and the ability to make voluntary decisions. All society, all civilizations in recorded history are based on the ability of an individual to use their individual free will and to be responsible for the consequences of the actions that come out of that decision. And they're either in conformity with society and you're going to be okay, or they're out of conformity with society and you're going to be in jail or killed. Yeah, that's the bottom line for society. Society is based on law law assumes that everybody has free will and can make decisions if you transgress the law you will be punished if you keep the law you will live safely in society amazing simplicity so more questions more questions If you're in your addiction, probably the answer is yes. It's not a trick question, serial suffering. But my question is more for the people who are in abstinence, who have six months or a year or five or 10, and their life still is serial suffering. You've heard it maybe in the meetings pain is inevitable. That's life. That's the finite life of reality. Pain is inevitable, but suffering's optional. It gets your attention, and of course it needs a lot of compassion when you have a discussion with it, because people really do suffer, and it's not their fault. But it's about attitude, isn't it? the road less traveled, the very first line, I mean, almost everybody knows it if they've read the book or or been exposed to the book, the road less traveled, the very first line, life is difficult, absolutely. I use the river analogy and the flow. We're in a canoe, the river is moving, I'm in the canoe, I'm moving with the river, Sometimes there's rapids. We call it white water. And we have to learn how to navigate that. And sometimes we don't do so well. Can you change? Now you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. Because you are already demonstrated that you are mad dog seekers. That's my affectionate term for you because it was the affectionate term that was given to me by the third man who took me through the steps. The people that he had touched, he called mad dog seekers, because when you come to see me, when you come to experience one of my events, you, first of all, you're taking up some of your Saturday, your precious free time to do this. Who does that? But people who are really thirsty, who are really hungry, at their soul level but I'm challenging you at this point with whatever evolution you've had in your consciousness in your feelings and in your behavior is there more can you change Maslow is a psychologist back from the 1900s, early 20th century. And he did a chart on human development. I've taken the chart and I've adopted and adapted it to this conversation on human development, the 12-step process, especially happiness and even emotional sobriety. So I don't refer to him in the chart anymore because I've taken it and uh, changed it so that it's not his anymore, but I wanna give recognition to where it came from, human development and organic process. It's going to be a triangle, just to give you a little anticipation here of where we're going, but it has very many building blocks, very much like our brain it starts with this brain stem it t- starts with the biological it starts with the physiological these are all co- warm up concepts to understanding happiness these are essential who am i well i'm a body what does that mean i don't mean to talk down to you at all at all but i want to address you this is fundamental and this is the foundation if you're not taking care of your breathing exercise your uh, liquid, your food balance, and your sleep might cause for the last 10 years, probably a projection of my own deficiencies, then you're out of balance, and everything else is going to be askew as the result. Ask yourself, what does it mean to get enough sleep, Herb? The jury's in sorry guys seven and a half to nine hours consistent daily if you're not getting seven and a half to nine hours consistent daily you're sleep deprived that's how they break down emotionally physically in a human way pow's sleep deprivation it's really hard in our culture with the responsibilities that we have, the challenges that we have, the pressures that we have, the technology that we have, the ability to escape through technology and or other mechanisms that become addictions. It's a real challenge to get enough sleep. I'm just raising the question And then of course we have the limbic system the emotional and the psychological self-awareness self-esteem self-respect holding a positive attitude the summary of happiness is to have a positive attitude toward reality toward yourself toward other people a positive attitude It's a decision that you make. Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, a classic book written at the end of the war when he got out of Auschwitz. He's a psychiatrist who survived the death camp, And he made observations there. Some people died quickly, some people after a few months, some people after a few years, some people actually adjusted and got along. He said, what is it? What can I, speaking of the serenity prayer, what can I control? He used that word. What can I control? Oh, I can't control the guards. I can't control the fact that I'm in prison. I can't control the food. I can't control the weather. I can't even control the people in my bunk area. He changed the word from control to influence. I can't control anything outside of me, very little inside of me, but I can influence it. My attitude is the only thing that I'm responsible for, the only thing that I can make a decision about and affect. My attitude about it all. If you left the the event today, at this point, you will have the key that unlocks the door to happiness. Now, I'm going to spend lots more time and lots more pictures talking about it, but that's the key. My decision to change my attitude about myself, about life, and about other people. Now... That's why I've fallen in love with the 12-step process, because it is the method that allows me to understand what my current attitude is and what the vision of the possible is. And then my step guide sponsor guides me on that path and my community supports me as I wobble, hitting shoulders on both sides off balance at most of the time time I'm navigating the path. It's said by very wise teachers, all human beings need three things, a path, a teacher and a community. We're so fortunate in the 12 step environment to have all three of them. We need the community This is part of our social development. We're built to be in community, to have connections with somebody. It may not be many people, but that's the whole trajectory that we've been on since the beginning, mostly because of safety. It creates safety, but it also nurtures us and gives us a sense of belonging and context. The first real development, I believe, and so does Maslow, in terms of the human being is to develop a conscience. That is an awareness of the principles of life and the awareness of principles that I have and to try to make them in harmony, in alignment. If you paid attention to all of the words I just used and you've been around me a little bit, you might already suspect that's step 10. A self-actualization. I identify in me the areas that signal to me that I'm in alignment or I'm out of alignment. Two words that tells you how to have happiness again i'll repeat these many times in different forms in different pictures in different words the scientists that concluded all the books that i read and they came from different eastern the dalai lama south africa nelson mandela psychologists from pennsylvania and harvard sociologists from around They use different words. They use different concepts. But the bottom line was anybody who wants to be happy, that's their goal, to be happy, will never be happy. Because happiness is not a product. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of my relationship with a meaning broader than myself and a contribution to the humanity around me. Does that sound familiar? Those of you in... The 12-step community here in Echo, I'm sure. Step 11 and step 12. Bill said inventory and meditation are like hand in glove. We keep the channel clear so that the channel can be filled with the life force. With the guidance. We use the consciousness practice i broaden it from prayer meditation mindfulness transcendental whatever the words are they're attempting to explain the same thing is how do i make my mind more aware listen to step 11 improve my conscious contact not improve my contact hello the words in the big book are precise like the precision of a really good surgeon improve my conscious contact i do a whole workshop on steps two and three as a decision about the constant contact with a power other than ourself those of you who are in my distribution list will be receiving several reflections on a weekly basis now on god as i don't understand it one of the last in that series is a reflection on god is consciousness god is consciousness the consciousness that i have is a participation in the consciousness of reality I won't unpack that right now, but I'll drop that one on you. It's a profound awareness, a very comforting awareness. I have no idea if it's true or not, but I'm basing my life on it. And then organically, it brings me to being more aware of other people as participating in that consciousness, and that develops in me some compassion. Step 12, of course, self-actualization, self-realization, self-transcendence. Oh, these are $100 words. Absolutely. But they're meant to capture a nuance of human development. We develop conscience and awareness of principles of the universe in step 10. We develop consciousness so that we're aware of our being in alignment with and the guidance that comes with that. And in some fashion, each of us is called to contribute to the environment around us, the people around us, the humanity around us, not necessarily as sponsors or step guides or anything to do with the 12-step community, But as human beings, we're invited to be human by connecting to other human beings. Are we human beings seeking a spiritual experience? Are we spiritual beings seeking a human experience? I raised it earlier. I took it into meditation for several years, actually, quite frankly. Wonderful thing to think about, to discern about, to ruminate about. My ultimate answer is yes. I am an embodied spirit. I'm a human being that is spiritual. I am a spiritual being that is human. I don't need to know what all that means. I just need to act as if it's true. You see, I heard a speaker on one of those tapes I was mentioning before we started and and the event was recorded. I heard a speaker say do you know in the 12-step program or in any authentic spirituality how you spell magic how do you spell magic he said a-c-t-i-o-n i just love that one of the international speakers died recently clancy He would say magic is the, excuse me, action is the magic word. Action is the magic word. My feet determine my happiness. My attitude. My action. Remember I talked about attitude earlier. That's what we have a choice over. We have a choice over our attitude. And then we have a choice over the actions that we take. again going back to what i know and what i decide my mind and my will i hope it doesn't become annoying my redundancy but it's been such an effective model for me to understand who i am and what the combination is for me to become really fully and decently human I did not know that I did not know when I came into the program at age 43. I thought I was a Renaissance man with my background. Oh my God, philosophy, psychology, theology, self-help. Don't you know that I know? I really thought I was a Renaissance man. And then I did a fourth step and four years of sobriety, I had thought out sufficiently to do a fourth step effectively. Thought out is one of my favorite words for this spiritual journey. And I found out I'm not a Renaissance man at all. I'm a Neanderthal. What is the happiness meaning? What does it mean? It comes from a Scandinavian word. Chance, hap, chance, happen. Favored by fortune. It is not fun. Happiness is not fun. Happiness is not feelings. Happiness is not success. What is it then? Now, this is coming out of the literature. So it's a little technical. Progressive experience, dimmer switch, of conscious contentment. Conscious, meaning I know. Contentment, meaning my actions are in alignment with reality. I'm in harmony. Alignment is not a word in the big book but it's the word I use, the single word I use for step three. I make a commitment to be in alignment with reality as I see it, as I know it, as I experience it. That commitment takes me to steps four through nine, which puts me in alignment. And if I do step 10 on a daily basis, on a moment to moment basis when I'm disturbed, if I'm motivated by the vision of alignment, then I will have contentment. An objective view of reality as it is. Well, an objective view is contrast to a subjective view. See, the problem is we cannot have an objective view of reality. I'm I'm not going to modify that statement. I'm not going to qualify it. Black and white. We, as human beings, cannot have an objective view of reality as it is because we're always looking through our lenses. If I have pink glasses on, I'm going to see reality pink. If I have blue glasses on, I'm going to see reality as blue. My lenses determine my view of reality, and I can't get around that. In fact, I've read some science that says When we, in fact, observe something, we actually change what we're observing. Our very observation changes what it is we're observing. I don't know how that works and much about it. I'm not a scientist. I read scientists. That impressed me. So get over it. We can never see reality as it is, but we can see reality more clearly. That's the whole point of doing steps four through nine. Four through nine identifies my delusional view, my warped view, my corrupted lenses, my beliefs and my motives that have been developed as survival mechanisms that are no longer working. Dr. Berger calls them default positions. And we need to recondition ourselves. These beliefs and these values. With our free will, when we see that our distorted views are what we look through to see reality, and then we take action on it, and that's why we suffer, then we're motivated to change our beliefs and our values. So that we can have consistent actions that are healthy and in alignment, or more in alignment with reality. our own Declaration of Independence. It's wonderful. These men were brilliant who wrote the Declaration of Independence. Unalienable rights, life of course, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not happiness, by the way. You don't have a right to happiness. Well, at least according to the Declaration of Independence and my perception of reality as it is. I have the right to pursue it What's the problem? Those bedevilments I talked about. If you're not familiar with the term, look on page 52 in the big book, the second paragraph. Bill uses that term, bedevilment. To be controlled as if by devils. I am unhappy. I am restless, irritable, and discontent. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. And then read pages 60 to 62 to really see the corrupt manipulated human being that I am without a program or even in a program without a regular or consistent treatment. What's the solution? Well, the promises on page 83 and 84, the ninth step promises, there's more promises. Check out page 63, the first, paragra- uh, first paragraph. Check out page 75, the last par- uh, second to last paragraph. Page 63, the third step promises. Page 75, the f- fifth step promises. But let's refer to the 9 step promises. I will know a new freedom. Steps four through nine, finishing the ninth step. Finishing, hello, finishing the ninth step. I will know a new freedom. I will know a new happiness. Bill uses these terms. I will enter the world of the spirit. Well, we could substitute spirit with reality. I will enter into reality as it is. Well, what about unhappiness? We don't need much teaching there. It comes from all these words on the screen. Comparison, attachment, expectations, shoulds, materialism, competition, judgments, mistakes. And those are all the things that we identify to the extent that we have them and the sources in us. Column three in the resentment inventory revealed to me my beliefs and my shoulds distortions of reality column four in the resentment inventory revealed to me my values and my motives that had been corrupted or that were corrupt and that needed to be repaired bill says on page 62 selfishness self-centeredness is the root everything flows from that my will on its own power will always choose me that's how we're built it's not a it's not my responsibility for how I'm built it is my responsibility to deal with it it's not my responsibility my history it is my responsibility to deal with it hear the difference it's not my responsibility to deal, to deal with character defects oh my god don't work on your character defects bill says you're powerless but you need to be willing to be changed. The insight I got when I was doing six and seven that first time was I'm not responsible for my defect. I'm powerless over that. It's the way I have been built and have a default position, but I am responsible for the behavior that comes out of it. I am responsible for the behavior not the source of the behavior. I pray to have the source healed. I hold myself accountable for my behavior and I try to do better and progressively do better between prayer and accountability. My script changes. Dr. Luskin in the book, Forgiveness, one of my favorite books, Forgive for Good. He said, we just need to reframe our script. We don't even know that we have a story. We don't even know that we have a script. Then that's the benefit of steps four and five. It identifies what our script is. If it's a healthy script, keep it. But if it's a fairy tale, then you might want to get real, reframing it, your story. Your story is your story and you can't change your history but you can change your current reaction to your history. Your history may have been unfortunate, great word, tragic. Your history may have a big component of some criminal influence in your behavior, not yours, but other people's that have shaped and misshaped your personality. Yes, it's true, tragic, unfortunate. And here's the cold hard truth. Deal with it. You're not responsible for your history, the influences from people and circumstances. You are responsible for your reaction to your history. Amazing insight. This is confirming what I indicated earlier so that you can see it in writing. Happiness is a byproduct. A byproduct of what? Of turning. Step three is about turning. Made a decision to turn. Bill says that he captures it on page 14 in his story. Simple but not easy. Simple but not easy. It means a price has to be paid. It means the destruction of self-centeredness. That bedevilment, I must turn in all things to the father of light who presides over us all. Beautiful paragraph, summary of the whole spiritual journey. I must turn in all things to the father of light. Drop the word father. I must turn in all things to the light, away from the darkness. If you want a simple metaphor, a mental image for yourself as to the human journey, the spiritual journey, the 12-step journey, the healthy journey, the journey of optimal living, turn away from darkness, turn toward the light. I know that's general, but that's the kind of ideal and vision that can motivate us. You see, it's our responsibility to turn. It's our responsibility to take the actions to move toward the light and away from the darkness. The, 100% of the Harvard studies that I read on, agreed on two things, perhaps not with the same simplicity I'm about to say it. If you want to be happy, Embrace joy and avoid suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Harvard. Really? I mean, that's just so not sophisticated. And yet, it's so like on the money. It's so true. Embrace joy, avoid suffering. Can you do that on a daily basis? Be aware of what brings you joy and what brings you suffering and embrace what brings you joy and avoid what brings you suffering. See, that's the whole point, isn't it? The point of turning. It's a relationship with other in step 11. You notice the capital O. It's a relationship with others in step 12. Step 11, a meaning broader than ourselves. Step 12, a contribution to the humanity around us. I use the word help in step 12. I used to use the word service. It's too complicated. It's too sophisticated. In my meditation, it says, Herb, you need to use the word help. And as soon as I had that insight, as I read the big book, the big book is replete with that word help. How can I help another person? And the meditation said to me, help has earth in it, Herb. Help has dirt in it, Herb. Help uh, help has uh, the implication of frustration and being tired and being inconvenienced. Yep. Yep. that's what Bill says in chapter 7, working with others. It's not a walk in the tulips. But it's an organic outcome of an authentic transformation, of an authentic spiritual awakening, of an authentic connection with yourself. And with the God of our not understanding. This is how we're built. We have that mind to know our thoughts this is the whole point of meditation step 11 an active process of thinking an active process of receiving guidance but then the process of our will is to in fact make a decision and to take some action based on that guidance reality as it is What makes me specifically human is that I can know and that I can, I have a choice. I have a choice and I have a responsibility to make that choice. I can choose positive or I can choose negative. The glass is half full, the glass is half empty, the glass didn't change. Do I want to be helpful? Or is my behavior harmful, both to me and to other people? I love the word cherish. I came across that in Dr. Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. A man wants respect from both men and women. That's the one thing a man wants is respect. What does a woman want? Now, I was reading it because I was having trouble with my own marriage at that time, 1990. 25 years married, seven send seven years sober, something like that and i read the book and it really helped me i suggested to my male sponsees. A, a woman wants to be cherished what a rich word a woman partner or a partner wants to be cherished I can decide am I going to be negative or am I going to be positive my history may have conditioned me to be negative, but it's a choice at the point where you become conscious of these dynamics that we're talking about. I am the center of my life, I am not the center of life. That was the conversion experience that I had when I did the uh, 12 steps in 1988. Four years sober, I did not realize I was the center of life, not just my life. I was a unmitigated narcissist a personality disorder that's categorized in the DSM, the diagnostic manual of psychiatrists and psychologists. And there's nine characteristics. It's irreversible, irremediable. It cannot be treated by therapy and or medication. My therapist, God bless him, Dr. Berger at the time, a Marine, (laughs) he takes the hill very confrontational, that's why I engaged him. He said, as he handed me the copy of the material from the DSM, and we read the nine characteristics together, he said, the only thing missing in the psychiatric manual is your picture. I said, how bad is it? He said, on a scale of one to 10, you're a seven and a half, we put 10s in prison. A few years later, as we became friends and then colleagues, I asked him, So, what does it look like now on a scale of one to 10? It used to be a seven and a half. He said, My assessment, informal, of course, it's not scientific, but my assessment is about two and a half. You never get over it, but through the practice of steps 10, 11, and 12, the experience of the steps four through nine, your consistency and fidelity to a spiritual way of life, you have been changed. I was in the bondage of addiction until it was a gift given to me of freedom. I didn't ask for it. It was just given to me, a story for a different day, February 21st, 1984, my first day of sobriety. Wasn't because I chose it. It was because I quit drinking to support my wife's recovery at the request of the hospital that she was in. I haven't had a drink or an inclination to drink since. But it took four years in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to do the steps out of the big book to find out I was in the bondage of self, unmanageability. And I began to get free. Please don't hear it that I got free. I began to get free as a result of doing those steps the first time and over the next 10 years doing the steps three different times with three different step guides, that final third time I saw and experienced unmanageability and the defect of the will and I got free. Ask yourself these questions and then we'll take a break. Where's my life not working? Right now, today, how effective have I been up to this point? Human development, religious tradition, spiritual efforts, 12-step fellowship, therapy. How effective have I been? Do I really want my life to change? A key question. Some people are afraid of change because they don't know what's on the other side of it. What changes would you like? My most favorite question that came to me in my meditation probably a couple of decades ago What is the invitation? What is the invitation? Today, not yesterday, the what a coulda should is a dark rabbit hole that has, it's totally unproductive. It goes no place. I learned that in spades when my wife died three years ago. We had 52 years of marriage, and the last Oh, 35, 30, 32. Were a friendship. That grew and was wonderful and intimate and soulmates. It was just great. Life isn't without its grief, without its pain, without its. Speed bumps, without its whitewater. water. So. Where do we find happiness? Never outside of us. I've mentioned that before, but here's a slide to talk a little bit more about it. It's not with physical satisfaction. If you're an addict in this audience right now, whether you're in abstinence or not, you know that physical satisfaction never was long-term satisfaction. Short-term gain, the flag of the attic, no matter what the long-term pain is. But the point of recovery, of course, is short-term pain for long-term gain, just the opposite. Money, the scripture says love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. I'd rather be a saint that has a bank account than a saint that doesn't. Let's get real. Money is really important, but it doesn't fulfill Look at the, you see the headlines, people who are independently wealthy and somewhat famous and they are miserable and or they commit suicide or they have lives of real suffering. Money doesn't answer the question. A minimum amount, and that's a relative term, is certainly necessary. Recognition, it's one of our social needs in the Maslow chart, that sense of community and belonging. But we see how many people who have some fame regularly have drug addiction, alcoholism, and or suicide. Power and control, look at history. It never satisfies people. Pascal said, Pascal, the philosopher, a poet, probably writer. I'm familiar with a little bit of his work, not a lot. But he has one phrase that was just outstanding. The whole in us is in the shape of God. So it's always inside. Pleasure is important. When I'm thirsty, I need a drink of water. When I'm hungry, I need some food. And meaning, the two components of joy, pleasure for the body and the emotions, meaning for the mind and the will, a sense of value, a sense of purpose. These are not new concepts. The summary from my reading and from my experience, both of philosophy and psychology and theology, as well as this work in happiness. It's never outside, it's never material. It's always inside, it's always organic. It's not something that we just acquire and keep. It's something that we begin in action, a positive attitude. And then we operate on principle. Bill had it just absolutely nailed in the 12th step. Practice these principles in all our affairs. Principle. What's a principle? It's the source. It's the law. The principle of physics is gravity it's immutable it's non-negotiable if i want to fly from the top of a 30-story building and i flap my arms really well after some reading and training and preparation i'm going to die because the law of gravity doesn't care how i've prepared it just is that concept will absolutely change your attitude toward reality If you can embrace it and generalize it, the law of gravity is a physical law. There are other laws, principles, human principles. Some people call them universal principles. Some people stretch and call it spiritual principles. They're all saying the same thing. These are human principles. Society has discovered over history, thousands of years of development. Honesty is the best policy. I mean, that's a simple truism from probably. Some wonderful poet in the 18th century or even earlier. But he's elaborating a principle. If I transgress the principle of honesty with dishonesty, I can do that with my free will. But there will be consequences. If I transgress integrity, if I transgress fidelity, if I transgress humility, if I transgress simplicity. These are all meaningful terms to me. They may or may not be meaningful terms to you in terms of articulation of principles but that's the benefit of steps four through nine identifying what your principles are or what principles you want to have in order to have a smooth life bill calls it ego deflation at depth i love this image here of the russian dolls you've seen them in the gift shops there's the large doll obvious russian I had a woman in my <coughs> workshop at one point in Washington, DC, who literally was from Russia. And she says, oh, Matrushka.
1: <laughs>
0: and she said it just that way, Matrushka. Oh, okay, I got it. What does that mean? Mother. All right. Well, in, it, it, it represents my story. Notice I just put that on the headline there. This is my story. My biology's determined that I'm going to be white and bald. My biology determined, my genetics determined that I'm going to be alcoholic. My father was white, bald, and alcoholic. His father, his father, his father. Going back five generations, we can trace. White, bald, alcoholics. It's not my fault. It's my genetics. Deal with it. This is my story. I had a family that I was raised in, an alcoholic home. If you have any doubt about the development of a personality in a addicted home or in a home that has some type of trauma, they've broadened PTSD now to a home that's experienced death, abandonment, sickness, mental illness. It's an amazing expansion of the concept of PTSD, a legitimate, and it shapes your personality forever. Children of alcoholic home. Uh, let's see, children of alcoholic home syndrome, something like that. By Kritzberg, K R I T Z. I read that back in '85 when I first became acquainted with alcoholism and recovery, and my need to know a little bit about the family of origin. <clears throat> I was shocked at how codifiable it is. The personality characteristics that develop in a home of dysfunction. And then your emotional experiences and your education and psychological experiences. But notice the the faces are all the same. They all fit in with one another. If you were going to the store, those would all be in one package. And this is who we are. One package with all of these faces that have been developed. I put that last one as spiritual meaning. One of my teachers is Father Thomas Keating. And he talked about the core of goodness. The core of our soul. The core of our spirit. The core of our humanity. Whatever the words you want to use that in us that life force that is us that life force in us that is us on which have been impressed all these other experiences to develop my story well philosophers have taken a look at our story over the years psychologists sociologists A negative attitude will create a list. A positive attitude will create a list. Negative will create suffering and a victim mentality. Positive will bring healing and a sense of personal responsibility. That's empowering. When I'm a victim, I'm powerless and hopeless. When I'm responsible, I have some power. Not exclusively. I need power other than myself. Notice it's a capital P, power. The silver bullet of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we get to choose what that means for ourselves. There's flourishing groups of agnostics and atheists in the 12-step program, because they're identifying with some form of power other than the given words from either tradition, re- traditional religion or traditional 12-step environment. Dr. Berger has introduced me to the whole concept of psychology of the false self and the true self. All of those images of the matrushka were of the false self. Oh, they were true for us, but they weren't true in reality. Those were conditions that could be changed. But I had to find the meaning of that core of goodness in me and make the choices about the principles by which i wanted to live do i want to live in darkness or do i want to live in the light well what is the story so many people have attempted to Determine what the human story is human development philosophy since people were writing talked about a life of virtue read from the Romans and the Greeks. Religion we, we have five or six major religious traditions. Throughout the world 80% 85% of the world's population belongs to one of those five or six religious major traditions. If you boil them all down to it's about being in alignment with reality or doing the will of God, cumbersome language, if you don't have a healthy attitude about the G.O.D. word. Buddhism, one of the predominant traditions of the East, it's not a religion. They actually don't, as I understand it, I'm a dilettante studying it. They don't believe in God they believe in the self and the whole point of meditation is to remove the or convert the lower self the false self to the true self the higher self psychology a sense of well-being a sense of the true self a sense of optimal living this research that i've been talking about all morning in happiness It talks about pleasure. Let's never ignore our body and our emotions. Critically important that we have balance. But the more important aspect is meaning. A meaning broader than ourselves. A connection to a purpose. A connection to society. That's why I've fallen in love with and am really an apostle of the 12 step process. I I looked up that word the other day, somebody called me an apostle and I had to look it up. This is carrying a message, one who is sent, one who is sent to be turned from the world of self is my experience to the world of spirit. I left the monastery in 1964 and I hung up my black robe. I didn't meditate again for 25 years. I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and after four years did the steps and I embraced meditation again for the very first time knowing what I was doing and how to do it and what the value was. And I've been consistent on a daily basis for 33 years. Because of the step process, I was turned from my self-centeredness, the world of unmanageability, the world of the spiritual malady And I didn't know that I didn't know, but I was given the gift of the curtains parting, so that I could walk away from the darkness into the light and continue pushing that dimmer switch up one notch at a time, one notch at a time, one day at a time, it's brilliant. That's all we get. The past is history. The future really is mystery. The only thing that we have to live in is right now. This present moment, it's brilliant. Looking at the past will create our anger. Looking at the future will create our fear. An unhealthy look at our present will create shame. Those are the three instincts in us that create the emotions in us that are identified in steps four and five and removed in steps six and seven to a healthy balance. These instincts, they're basic, fight, flight, and freeze. An emotion that comes out of that instinct is anger. An emotion that comes out of the flight instinct is fear. The emotion that comes out of freeze is dishonesty and shame. I didn't see it until it was pointed out to me by a professional. I didn't know shame was an emotion, but it comes out of the instinct to hide, to camouflage dishonesty. It creates my false self. But in this process, I can identify those obstacles and, and be restored to my humanity. An optimal living, an optimal thriving of myself. Those instincts converted into the virtues of love and trust and honesty are great words. You have to turn them into meaningful words for yourself. What, do you, what actions does it invite you to? What expectation does it develop? What decisions does it create in your life? I can remove the obstacles in me by taking actions that are contrary to my inclination, by getting direction from people who have experience and have my best interest at heart. And then I can help someone else identify this and remove their obstacles. Many people are very grateful for the work Uh, of the 12 steps and the experience that they have as the result of the 12 steps and I tell them every time that if you want to really express your gratitude help somebody else have that experience see the spiritual awakening is a, a, a the promise of the 12th step it's based on principles of turning turning from the world of self steps one through nine To the world of spirit, steps 10, 11, and 12. The best kept secret in the rooms. What does it mean? Not cured. What does it mean, daily reprieve? It has nothing to do with addiction. At least this is my take on it. It has everything to do with unmanageability. In that same material on on step 10 on pages 84 and 85 in the big book, Bill tells us with regard to our addiction at the end of the ninth step, walking into the world of the spirit, walking into the world of the spirit, oh, out of the world of self, walking into the world of spirit, we are placed, hear the words, I'm quoting, we are placed in a position of neutrality. We are placed, a gift. In a position of neutrality, abstinence. And he he goes on to reinforce that with words like, we don't even have to try that hard. It's a gift. We find ourselves there without much effort. It's a bit of an understatement. If you've done steps four through nine, you know that that's an understatement. That's a lot of work. But what he's saying is, the outcome is disproportionately larger than my contribution to it. The results were much bigger than my efforts. Spiritual math is what I call it. Regular math, one plus one equals two. Spiritual math, one plus one equals five. I had done religion. I had done psychology. I had done therapy. I had done self-help and I had done AA. Basic AA. I had done it. I just hadn't done the steps in any effective manner. And I didn't have this shift from the world of self to the world of spirit. I did not. I did not change. It's a wonder I stayed sober with my activity. Completely contrary to human decency for four years. Having a sponsor, calling a sponsor every day, thinking that I was being transparently honest. And in fact, getting co-signed even for my misbehavior, my mischief. And then I did the work and I was, I was rocketed into the fourth dimension. Bill uses that term on page 25. Rocketed into the fourth dimension. Well, stay with the metaphor for a minute. There's a rocket. I have to get into the rocket. Then the rocket will take me where the rocket's going to take me. And once I get there, staying with the rocket imagery, I'm in orbit around the light. And then I have responsibility to navigate it, to adjust. Step 10, adjust when I'm disturbed. Step 11, get guidance so that I can navigate the orbit. And step 12, so that I can stay in the orbit by helping other people get into and stay in the orbit. It's a great metaphor. Steps one through nine are for optimal recovery. You won't find those words in the big book. Actually, they're Dr. Berger's words. Optimal recovery from our addiction. We are set free. Freedom is the goal, freedom from the addiction. But the second half of the first step is about our living problems, our dealing with reality problems. And when we deal effectively, Consistently, diligently, to the best of our ability, not perfectly, please. Not perfect. We're finite. I started off the very first slide talking about us as material beings, meaning that we're imperfect by nature. Imperfect by nature, corruptible by nature, material. It, dis- it begins disintegrating the moment we are born. Every one of us born and here, here we are living, At the same time, every one of us sitting here is dying. It may be this afternoon, it may be tomorrow, it may be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. But this body is finite. Meanwhile, if I live in steps 10, 11, and 12, I have optimal living, which leads to my happiness. I don't mean the sense of euphoria that comes from a really good cup of uh, coffee. I mean the contentment of a sense of a place in the world, a meaning to your life, a purpose and a value. And each one of us is individuals. I love the image of the fingerprint. Now we have a more sophisticated image with DNA Our fingerprint and our DNA has never been in the world before ourselves. There isn't a duplicate to our fingerprint or DNA in the world as we speak, and there never will be based on our, at least science right now. We're very individual. Our life and our invitation is as individual. Who am I and what is my invitation? What is my fingerprint? What is my DNA? What is the gifts? What are the gifts that I've been given that I'm being asked to deliver to the world today? Bill has a simple phrase again. We're here to keep our head in the clouds and our feet on the ground. Oh my God. I need to remind myself of that on a regular basis. Head in, the gra- head in the clouds, feet on the ground. We have an addiction, certainly. And that is a problem. It's just not the problem. Unmanageability is the problem. The bondage of self, Bill calls it. And we can get free by realizing that we're not in a jail, except of our own making. Look, at, there's no jail here. No ceiling, no walls, no floor, just pathetic Herbie, holding the bars in front of his face as a victim of circumstances and people, not realizing that he's holding the bars. And all he has to do is drop the bars. There's a book uh, that's been written and uh, published by Hazleton called Drop the Rock. It's about the effectiveness of six and seven. Happiness is the gateway, the gateway to optimal living. I need power. There is a power. Steps two and three. Step two is a decision about power. You choose. Step three is a decision that you can have a relationship with that power. But you have to consent to that relationship. The consent is a prayer. Step three. But the turning is an action from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. Bill says in step 10, we grow in understanding and effectiveness. In my model for, that I've adapted and adopted from Maslow, I use the three Cs, conscience, consciousness, and compassion. It's for alliteration purposes. It has a certain poetry for me. I can remember it, but it also has a certain relevance, too. We enter this world of the spirit through steps one through nine. We live in the world of spirits through steps 10 to 12. And I hope you're getting the connection. Steps one through nine will not be a happy experience if you do it correctly. (laughs) It's not a walk in the tulips. I have people sign uh, an agreement before they do my workshops so that I'm covering my, yes, self with regard to the liability of the suffering that people will experience as they go through this step. The Oxford group, the predecessor group to Alcoholics Anonymous called it soul surgery, soul surgery. We invite the divine surgeon, to enter into our souls and bring the knife and cut out the cancers, bring the radiation, bring the chemotherapy. Any of you have had any exposure to cancer? Know the drill. In life. I said, let's get a second opinion. And I went through a summer surgery then radiation, then chemotherapy, then more surgery. It was not fun. But I have two legs today. The result was wonderful. The process was crappy. That's a wonderful description of the spiritual journey, whether it's the 12-step journey or a therapeutic journey or a religious journey. John of the Cross, uh, 16th century mystic codified the spiritual journey in three levels purgative that was the first level essentially equivalent to steps one through nine illuminative the spiritual awakening that happens as a result of the purgative process that spiritual awakening and then the unitive The ultimate vision and vision statement and mission of steps 11 and 12 is the unity and the oneness. To realize that I am in constant contact with that which is consciousness. And that all I need to do is become conscious of that constant contact. god doesn't come or go this power this life force doesn't come or go it is it just is i participate in it this is my philosophy this is my experience this is my theology actually based on the 12-step experience and the 12-step process is god necessary the chapter to the agnostics is chapter four all about step two Step two, if you read it, doesn't have the word God in it. Is God necessary? Well, that's for you to decide. This is a scene from the Sistine Chapel. God creating humans. The hand on the right reaching down to the hand on the left. Not touching, by the way. Interesting. I made a meditation out of that space. There's willingness and action meeting and the mystery, the alchemaic mystery. I don't know how it turns me from a self-centered narcissist to an other centered, decent human being. I don't know how that happened. I do know that it did happen. My willingness to take action and God's grace to allow me to take the willingness and to have the action and the outcome was disproportionately larger than my contribution to it. Think of that. A flower becomes a seed. A cat produces kittens. Humans produce babies. There's a line in the Genesis, the first book of the Torah, the Jewish scripture, we call it Old Testament sometimes. God made humans in God's image and likeness. It's a fabulous meditation. What does that mean? God made humans in God's image and likeness, made them male and female. There's a koan that's worthy of some time spent. God made humans in God's image and likeness. God made them male and female. So this is the reality. Whatever this G-O-D thing is, it is uncreated. It's infinite. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. This is of course the philosophy of the 12 steps and the big book. You get to interpret what does it mean? In one of my meditations, it was a realization. All material reality is the face, if you will. In a metaphor, poetically, of the creator, the manifestation of the infinite. All finite is the manifestation of the infinite. I am image and likeness. My image is to know. My likeness is to love. That's the function of my will, is to have relationship. A relationship with this power, a relationship with myself, and a relationship with others. My definition of spirituality is relationship. We don't need to use the traditional words from organized religion at all, or from the big book. And I try not to when I can't using more human words so that we don't create myths and mystery. Although there's a lot of mystery here. To know is my ability to be conscious. To love is my ability to be compassion, to be conscious and aware of the context of my life, the meaning and the value of it and the purpose and compassion to contribute to the people around me. More unpacking of this concept. We're conscious, but we're asleep dreaming that we're awake. Gurdjieff is a Russian philosopher of the 19th century. That was his quote, all human beings are asleep dreaming that they are awake. brilliant insight at it not the words but the insight the step spiritual awakening as the result of these steps he understands that we're asleep dreaming that we're awake four and five tell us about the delusional distortion the unhealthiness of the dream 6 and 7, 8 and 9, correct that to be conscious of reality. Be conscious of the false self. Freud said the journey of the human being is to make the unconscious conscious. Otherwise, we conclude, if we're not conscious, that we're victims of fate or other people's malevolence, ill will. The journey of the human being is to make the unconscious conscious so that we are empowered. We have agency, some people call it. We have the ability to determine the course of our lives. Well, not totally, 100%, obviously. Whatever country you're born in determines a whole lot of the choices that you have. Whatever family you're born into determines a whole lot of the choices that you have, both genetically, emotionally, as well as socially. Those are the facts. But each of us has a true self. That core of goodness. You can believe that or not. I mean, that's a choice of course. You can believe the poetry of image and likeness. I relate it to knowing and deciding my mind and my will. Oops. That at the core is the divine presence. And that's what Bill says on page 55 in answer to the question on page 45. Where and how are we going to find this power? On 50, on 45. On 55, he says, deep down inside of us. And that's the only place you're going to find this power. And he reinforces that in the spiritual awakening appendix to unsuspected inner resource. This is broader than the big book. A lot of the concepts and the vocabulary that I've used, a lot of the knowledge and the experience and the insights I've used comes from philosophy, comes from theology, comes from psychology, comes from sociology, comes from the research on happiness. Interpreted in the light of my experience with the 12 steps and my background in a belief that there is a power other than ourselves. Most people call it God and don't have a problem with it. It's just a way of speaking. The word G-O-D is not the reality. It's a symbol of the reality for which there is no adequate symbol. I mentioned that. I have a reflection coming out that you'll each receive. God is consciousness. What does it even mean, unconditional love? I have reflections that will be coming out. That will attempt to unpack that as a meditation we are we are invited to be conscious because that's our nature that's how we're built we have a mind that thinks and self-reflects we have a will that makes decisions and has and makes connections and relationships with people around us we call that love i looked up the word I'm In pursuit of the real meaning of love, I mean, I love coffee, I loved my wife when she was alive, and I love my three adult children and my seven grandchildren, and all of them in different ways. I love walking on the cliffs around my home. The word love gets hackneyed in, and meaningless in so many contexts. So I looked up the word altruism. To do something for the benefit of somebody else without any possible benefit for myself. Oh my God, that's as close as it comes. To do something for the benefit of somebody else without any possible benefit for myself. Unconditional, I can't be unconditional because by nature, conditional. I'm a created finite human being but I can have the goal, the vision, the ideal of unconditional. That is my ideal. I want to be with a motive of you and not a motive of me all the time. Very, very conscious that when I operate that way, it's better for me. No, no, you had to hear that. That wasn't subtle. It's in my best interest to want your best interest. We can be truly human when we realize we are created by love. We are designed by love. My terms, my alternative terms, my synonyms for this life force. This G-O-D of my not understanding. There's songs written about it. Poetry written about it. Philosophy and theology all written about it the only life principle that can bring happiness. Certainly loving myself, hello, having that self-care in balance, not the narcissistic self-centeredness that I described earlier, but the caring and altruism that's described in step 12 truly helping. And if you have a difficult time with the balance of that, go to Al-Anon. They have created a science of, of a balance of relationships with people without enabling them or losing ourselves. It's a change and awareness. It's a faith. The, 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 the a, um, experience that I had with step two that opened the door at 10 years of sobriety to have an experience with step two for the very first time 10 years of sober having done the steps twice before having phenomenal life-changing spiritual awakenings before i had no experience with steps two and three that third time through the steps at 10 years of sobriety i had an experience with not just an understanding of but an experience with step two Page 53, God is or God isn't, what is your choice? That's a decision, an act of faith. There's no evidence, there's no certitude, there's no feeling, there's no emotion. There's no concreteness at all to it. It's as thin as air, invisible, empty, dark. But I make the decision and then I live as if it's true. I have hope in step three making that commitment, accepting the journey and taking the actions and having an experience, a transformative experience, life-changing experience. That's why I'm committed to doing this work. That's why I'm an apostle of this work. That's why I show up on a daily basis to help other people do this work. I was a seeker for so many years, but I wasn't a finder. And then I became a finder. How could you not bring this to the people who are suffering because they don't know that they don't know. This is our way of life. A litmus test, actually. Those of you who have my way of life document have seen this before. It's on my website in the way of life document. It's a very powerful description of unmanageability, the spiritual malady on the left And the spiritual awakening and emotional sobriety, emotional maturity, optimal living on the right. We are turned. We turn from and we are turned is my experience. Step three is a commitment to turn. By the time I finished step nine, I realized I was turned. Here's the difference. I made a commitment to turn. I took steps four through nine to the best of my ability. And by the end of the ninth step, looking back over my shoulder, I realized I was turned. Anger had become forgiveness. Fear had become trust. My inappropriate sexual behavior was changed because it became guided by principles for the very first time in my life. Guided by principles. Some of them I had that I didn't know that I had or I had overlooked. Some of them I didn't have, but I wanted to have. And so I incorporated them. But that's what you do when you're conscious. Question number nine in the sex inventory, page 69. What should I have done instead? That led me to understand the principles that I wanted. What should I have done instead? Oh, be honest. Be considerate. Be faithful. You see, I was able to discover principles by looking at the behavior that I didn't like. That was creating my suffering and other people's suffering. Dishonesty. Rigorous honesty. Bill spends an entire page almost on page 58. Under the title, how it works. He wants us to know. This is the primary principle of how it works, rigorous honesty. I asked my sponsor, what does that mean? He said, your insides and your outsides match. I said, thank you. I still did not have a clue as to what he was talking about, but I accepted it. Now I know my insides and my outsides mostly are in harmony, mostly in integrity eliminating the darkness of secrets with the transparency of that honesty having the burden of guilt and shame some of it put on us by other people most of it put on us by ourselves guilt a negative feeling about my behavior shame a negative feeling about who i am there's healthy guilt there's healthy shame absolutely but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about that deleterious feeling that we have about our behavior in the past or about our very being in the present and i've been given freedom a sense of a relationship with myself of self-respect a relationship with other people of mutual respect melody bd in her book codependent no more talks about becoming independent and then becoming interdependent. Fabulous terms, but then she coins one, which is the balance and the combination of both, undependent. If you haven't read it and you're interested in personal growth, it's a book from the 80s, but it's a seminal work that launched the entire movement of codependency and recovery from it. I believe it's the underbelly of most of the human problems. Perhaps next year, I'll do a workshop on that. Unhealthy self-esteem versus healthy self-worth. Another area of significance for most human beings, not just addicts, not just people in a 12-step program, but all human beings. To have a sense of self-worth. That's why we're talking about happiness, by the way. The difference between unhappiness and happiness is the difference of willfulness versus willingness. Willfulness coined by this contrast, coined by Gerald May. Wonderful books. Addiction and spirituality. Willfulness is my self-centeredness described on pages 60 to 62 in the big book. Willingness is the entire experience of the step process. Bill says it's the cornerstone, page 47 in the big book. It's the cornerstone of a spiritual arch through which we walk to freedom. That's the whole point, my will out of alignment, my will in alignment, the whole point of the journey. If you're not in the 12-step program and you're with us today, It doesn't make any difference because everything I've said is completely applicable to a human being without addiction, without being in a 12-step program. I use my will in both cases. I use my will poorly under the disease column because it's out of alignment with reality as reality is. I use my will properly As the result of the 12-step process or good therapy or good religion or a good relationship, there's many, many paths to the top of the mountain. Many, many paths to the top of the mountain. Be inclusive. But the point here is my will, I choose to be in alignment with reality as I see it, knowing that I can't see it as clearly as I want to, starting every day with the set-aside attitude and the set-aside prayer. A clean white slate every morning. Teach me what I need to know today. Give me the energy to do what I can do today. Listen to the step 11 prayer. Excuse me, step 11 itself. It's a prayer for me. But step 11 itself sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God. Here's the prayer. Praying for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. Do you think Bill had the same model that I'm having or I'm adopting or seeing uh, and using the same model that Bill had knowledge and will, because it's the human model. Life has principles. Motives and actions. (sighs) Pleasure is good. Short-term gain for long-term pain is not. That's the principle of the addict. The good may be the enemy of the best. Short-term pain for long-term gain, that's the model of the person attempting to have recovery to deal with the pain of steps four through nine. Anybody who enjoys steps four through nine is probably not doing it correctly. And I don't mean that uh, to be dismissive or diminutive or negative. It is my experience. It's a a journey of suffering, but it is short-term for the long-term benefits. Will lead to probable happiness. The best principle, freedom. Oops. Present enjoyment, future fulfillment. Predicted, I would say guaranteed happiness. Bill has a phrase in the traditions that got my attention 10 years ago. The good may be the enemy of the best in, it's in the traditions, I forget which one, but it, it's such a power. I'm good at many things. And to the extent I'm doing good things, uh, my energy is dissipated and I'm not focused on the best I can do. So I did an audit of all the things I was doing in light of that mantra, that principle. Scaling them from one to five, one being the bullseye. Five being good things to do, but not the bullseye. It took me three months, but I eliminated everything that wasn't a number one. It was so freeing that I have done that every year. In October, I take a look at all my activities and I recalibrate one through five. Now I'm recalibrating and fine-tuning the bullseye. My focus now is on meditation that is the single best thing that i believe i can bring to people as a tool to make consciousness happen and when consciousness happens, everything else happens but i'm also aware in my workshops that there's 30 40 percent wet finger in the wind estimate of people who are perfectionists so they hear that and they go they it drives them crazy because it's an unhealthy lack of balance. The good may be the enemy of the best and they all wanna be perfect. Perfect is the enemy of the good. Perfect is the enemy of awakening. We can't be perfect because that's not how we're built. In fact, Bill had that insight on page 60. He lists all the principles of the steps, the steps themselves. This is a synonym for him. Steps and principles. Same word, same concept, different word. He says progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. It's a process of integration. That dimmer switch that I talk about, somebody challenged me the other day because they really didn't have a practical experience with the dimmer switch. And they, and I said, oh, no, no, no. The, the word is dimmer, but the implication is that that's at the low voltage. It goes up the other way, too, and I'm not sure what a right word would be for that. There might be a better word, and anybody can suggest it to me. Send me an email. The technical word, as I understand it, is a homeostatic device, but that, that's just too much of a mouthful. I refer to the dimmer switch because it goes up a notch at a time and it gets brighter. You get physical sobriety steps one through nine. You get emotional sobriety by 10, 11, and 12. You have a spiritual awakening and you develop spiritual sobriety with consistency. But it goes down a notch at a time. That's the dimmer switch part. I emphasize the increment of moving toward the light one notch at a time, one click at a time, one day at a time, one action at a time. Steps one through nine, physical sobriety, guaranteed on pages 84 and 85. Spiritual awakening, guaranteed on pages 84 and 85. We enter the world of the spirit. We are changed, but the balance of the steps, 10, 11, and 12, our our invitation to spiritual sobriety because we're not cured of our unmanageability. We're not cured of our spiritual malady. We're not cured of our cancer of the soul. And on a spot check basis, on a daily basis, we use step 10 when we're disturbed. Whenever we're disturbed, we pray and we talk and we amend and we turn our thoughts to helping somebody else. In step 11, in the evening we do Inventory again. And in the morning we ask for guidance. And in step 12, where it's suggested that we live a life of principles and of helping other people, carrying the message. Well, what message is that? No, not the message of recovery. No, not the message of alcoholism. No, not the message of addiction. No, not the message of the 12 steps. No. Well, at least my interpretation. The message is that you can have a spiritual awakening, which will change your life. You can have a relationship with power that will empower you to live your life optimally. But here's the warning. Daily reprieve, stay of execution. Not cured. This dimmer switch will, in fact, go down. And disintegrate and go toward the darkness. If we don't treat our disease, our spiritual malady, our cancer of the soul. The obsession will then return. And the spiritual shield in back of which we were invulnerable to our obsession. Gets a chink in it. Gets a chip in it. Gets a crack in it. Or gets... Removed. That spiritual shield is defective and the obsession returns, and we're vulnerable to being hijacked. And we're back in our addiction using whatever it is a substance or a process addiction. What is happiness? The conclusion, and there's a lot of words here, felt satisfaction. I'm satisfied. When I have a glass of water, when I'm thirsty, my thirst goes away and I don't think about water. When I'm hungry, I have some food and I don't think about food. When I enjoy myself and or other people, I have a sense of pleasure, a sense of completion when I have identified my skills my competencies and I'm using them in a way that I enjoy and that seems to be helpful to other people, there's a sense of coherence. I really get a sense of self-worth and self-acceptance. I have a sense that I'm empowered in my own environment. I have a sense of independence. I've established some positive relationships. People like being around me or at least tolerate it. (laughs) There is a congruence in my life. These are coming from the studies that I did as a sort of a summary of the various words and dynamics. Some of them will help you have models and or vision statements of how you want to live or a reinforcement and confirmation that in fact, what you're doing is working. If you're not experiencing these, perhaps you can challenge yourself to say, what can I do to make this work for me? Be in harmony with life and with reality. There's speed bumps. But the 12-step process gave me shock absorbers to handle those speed bumps, to be in alignment with reality. The Harvard studies unanimously talked about freedom from irksome cares. Don't you just love that word, irksome? Circumstances and people sometimes are irksome. (laughs) A radiant contentment. Don't you love that phrase? A radiant contentment. These are the promises that come out of living a decent human life, being in alignment with reality. It might be done without the 12 steps, not in my experience. I found it the most effective transformative process that I've ever encountered. My problem was addiction, but my real problem was the spiritual malady. And it took me 43 years to identify that I had an addiction and four years to understand what that meant. And then it took me another 10 years to understand and experience the spiritual malady and deal with it all. I'm not saying this is a light switch situation. Bill had that, that mountaintop spiritual experience described in Appendix 2. But most of us have that spiritual awakening, that solution to know better and to decide to do better, to know the obstacles and to remove them with steps four through nine. to become aware of and think through how to help other people, how to stay in alignment with reality ourselves. It goes back to how we're built. Yes, this is redundant to what we looked at in that brain schema that we looked at. Just emphasizing it and re-emphasizing it. It's the way we're built. We need pleasure. It's the way we're built. We need meaning. Those are the two words that are the key words in the happiness studies. To recognize our body and our emotions need this kind of sense of homeostasis. Balance. But our minds and our wills need a sense of meaning and purpose. If we stay in the brainstem limbic system, we are self-centered. If we transcend, become self-realized and self-actualized, we become other and other-centered. We need to take care of ourselves in healthy self-care with regard to our bodies and our, our emotions, of course. The flight attendant says, put your mask on first before you can help anybody else. But the ultimate solution to human living is a healthy sense of caring for other people. Yes, care for yourself. Absolutely. Without that, you can't care for other people. You can't give it away unless you have it, but you can't keep it unless you give it away. A paradox of wonderful depth and wisdom. This is how we become fully human, self-actualized, fully alive, self-transcended. Through these steps, one through nine, at the basic level that establishes the foundation and the traction and the direction and the momentum. But, But 10, 11, and 12, the best kept secret in the rooms. I think we have a lot of relapse for lots of reasons, not the least of which is people don't understand the unmanageability. They don't understand the self-centeredness. They don't understand not cured. They don't understand daily reprieve. Literally don't understand. And Bill says it very cleanly and simply in in the 12 and 12 and step 11, in terms of the motivation for doing step 11 as we in our body need the nourishment of air water sunshine and food and the sustenance of air water sunshine and food for the survival sustenance of our body we need prayer and meditation for the nourishment and sustenance of our soul brilliant insightful do you believe it If you're not doing meditation, you don't believe it. If you just had a little quiver there of resistance and negativity, it's because you believe you believe it. But if you really believed it, you'd be doing it. So your belief about your belief is delusional. Yes, that's part of the confrontational. To love Herb is to know Herb. (laughs) This happiness is a practice of balance. Pleasure and meaning, as we talked about before. Using the brainstem, using the limbic system to understand. This is emotional sobriety, by the way. It's not sophisticated. Well, it is sophisticated because it's an understanding of how we're built. Emotional sobriety is to recognize that we need pleasure in our uh, bodies and in our emotions. Satisfaction, homeostasis, contentment, equilibrium, we need those things. And we get to manage that, though. We don't let our body instincts drive us. We don't let our limbic system emotions and feelings drive us. We manage them. We self-regulate with our mind and our will, our cortex, our neocortex, giving us a sense of meaning and value, a sense of empowerment. This way we reduce suffering because we're managing it. We increase our joy because we're managing it. This is our conscious purpose to recognize suffering and to eliminate it and avoid it, to recognize the sources of joy. This year, I'm going to use that for my own inventory uh, for next year's development of my activities. What brings me joy? Not as a self-centered thing, because of course, doing what I'm doing right here brings me joy because I can share with you my experience and it might be helpful. These are the actions that are recommended throughout the literature on happiness. Kindness, imagine that. Gratitude. Imagine that celebration generosity I tell the people I sponsor find out what the principle is in the situation that you're dealing with what is the principle always take the high road and be generous and be generous it's something I added within the last couple years because it's in my own development I experienced that when I step out of the box trying to protect myself or get what i want and i am generous with whatever the situation is the outcome is so much better and in my meditation it became very clear i can't out generous reality i can't out generous god no i'm talking about common sense here if you don't have common sense have a sponsor who does to be helpful is our only goal, Bill says, right? The Harvard studies talk this way: using our signature strength to anchor our personal authenticity, using our signature strength, identifying what is our DNA, what is our fingerprint, what is our gift. It's as unique to anchor our personal authenticity to seek pleasure in the context of a noble purpose. You love that word? Noble purpose that gives meaning to our life. Dignity, another word that's come to me in the last six months, noble purpose and live life with dignity. It's progressive, it's a flow, It's being real about who you are. Authentic. Doing with integrity how I do. Again, a life of consciousness in step 11. A life of contributions in step 12. I'm going to go through this one too quickly because it's a So it's a practice. Again, another uh, phrase came to me within the last six months. Because of the work that we're doing in our workshop and the feedback I get from the people. Life is a practice. That's the phrase. Oh yes, we practice presence in step 10. We practice presence through prayer and meditation. Practice, not perfect, hey, practice. The training wheels are off now. We're riding. We fall off. We have accidents. We get back on. We practice principles. What are the principles? This is our way of life. Self-actualization. Becoming my true self is what that means. Oh, it's a fancy word. Self-actualization. All it means is. I become who I really am. It's a process, it's a practice. I show up every day to practice. Life is a practice, becoming a lantern. That's my image of what I do as a sponsor and as a step guide and as a presenter. I'm a lantern that stands on the side of the road that shines the light on the road that I've walked, so that you can walk that road in the light of my experience and have your own experience. I'm not asking you, I never ask anybody to have my experience, but to have their own experience. I'm a lantern that shines the light of my experience on the road that I walked, on the path that I walked, so that you can walk that path in the light of that experience and have your own experience, a practice of conscience, becoming aware that I'm aware and responsible. Step 10 improving that consciousness on the daily practice. I'm not going to be really good at meditation for a while. And the whole point is not to become a good meditator. What's the point of step 11? It's in the step itself to improve. Improve what? My consciousness. My consciousness about what? About contact. With what? God. As I don't understand it, I would phrase it. Of course, Bill uses the terms in the big book. God of my understanding. Such a brilliant silver bullet, inclusive, all-inclusive. You choose. There's no theology or dogma in the 12-step. There are no rules or regulations or requirements in the 12-step culture. You choose. And organically, notice that the word compassion is in all caps, that's intentional. Bill says it's the most important part as to the extent that we are other centered is to the extent that we are manifesting our true self. He doesn't use that language, but I'm interpreting it in my language. Ultimately, if you want to grow spiritually, think about how to help somebody not necessarily an addict, not necessarily in a 12-step program. This is our way of life, self-transcendence. Again, that big $100 word, all that means is getting out of ourselves, not thinking about ourselves so much, not serving ourselves with our motives so much, all the time knowing that It's inevitable underneath my motive of helping you is that I'll be a better person. I'll enjoy my life. I'll have a happier existence. I'll have a more fulfilled sense of reality. And I don't let that dominate my motives. But I'm realistic to know that it's true. Lighting the path for others. Becoming a lantern. Lighting the path. Becoming a lantern. Lighting the path. This is a model I developed uh, with the help of my PowerPoint person to really capture who we are as human beings and the whole context of reality. A circle and a triangle and a circle. I just picked up on what Bill Wilson and Lois Wilson did. Bill Wilson gave us the circle and the triangle He said the circle is a symbol of God. The spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things. The circumference of reality, infinite, having no beginning and no end. And we are human beings in the middle in the triangle, body, mind, and will. We are in the middle in the 12-step program. The steps as the foundation of that triangle, the traditions as the principles that keep the whole thing together on the left-hand side, and the concepts, the 12 concepts on the right-hand side, which are the principles of a non-profit spiritual organization, the circle and the triangle, which was taken out of the literature because they were tired of litigating it, spending time and money. So they put it into the public domain. When Al-Anon was created, they took the everything from AA and adapted it, adopted it for their own 12-step fellowship, I think it was 1951. And they, they took the circle and the triangle, but they inverted it. That's why I have the triangle with the circle in the middle. That's the Al-Anon symbol. The symbol that God is deep down within us. And the human being and the program of humanity. It's what allows us to hold that. So I've incorporated both. Reflecting Thomas Merton's paraphrase of an insight that he got from some of the ancient wisdom people of the fourth, third and fourth century. Thomas Merton was a monk, Trappist monk like Father Keating, died in 1968. Thomas Merton, a prolific writer, again, a mystic, probably a prophet. He said God is that reality that has no circumference and whose center is everywhere. That's one of those koans that'll spend some time with you in meditation and challenge your thoughts and your brain and your feelings and your awareness. God is that reality that has no circumference, the circle, outside, and whose center is everywhere, the circle on the inside transcendent represents that circle on the outside human beings are represented by the triangle in the middle and the spirit deep inside of us represents the imminence i just love that last piece that if you didn't see it i'm going to do it again because it's my favorite and i like to play i have a commercial artist who helps me with the powerpoints and has created all my powerpoints and she took she has 40 years of sobriety plus at this point and she took my workshop three or four different times over the years and um, so she prepared this slide for me for one of my presentations but without really telling me uh about it and when i put it up for the first time i did the got this on the screen and then i pressed it again and watched at the bottom (laughs) I just love it. She did that to surprise me, but also to reflect the spirit here. It comes from the Greek word spiros, which means breath. The breath of God, the wind, as intangible, as uncontainable, as indefinable. The spirit everywhere. I'm going to go beyond this. A progressive process. I'm going to go beyond this. This is more of what we've already talked about. The problem is unhappiness. The solution is happiness. Duh. The process is a turning. This is the whole point. A turning from what? From suffering, of course. To what? To freedom. That's the promise of the 12 step process. This is the journey of going from unhappiness to happiness. From the suffering of our self-centeredness, that unmanageability, to the freedom of other-centeredness. This is a change. There's three words here. I love alliteration, as you know. A change in our awareness. I did not know that I did not know until I began to know that I did not know. And that was confirmation of the effectiveness of the process. So I kept pressed up against it gently. I accepted that I needed to do some work and I needed some guidance and I needed some help. Help from a power other than myself. So I used prayer. Help from a human being to give me the actual sharing of their experience. I accepted that I needed help. And I took the action. This is the formula for happiness. This is the formula for change. This is the formula from going from this human being that's in the jail of addiction or in the bondage of self to the freedom. Awareness, acceptance, action. Powerless in step one, but not hopeless. In fact, I believe it's the second chapter in the book after Bill's story is there is a solution. Power. A relationship with power. It doesn't say that in the big book, but it implies it on page 62 and 63. Bill gives us five relationships as models for us to choose our own relationship. Here's the question in steps two and three. What relationship do you yearn for? In the sense of reality, in the sense of life, in the sense of a power, in the sense of the life force, what does your soul yearn for, need, want? The freedom of steps four through nine, I've entitled as forgiveness a decision to release. I have a meditation in my way of life document on forgiveness, a three page one. I'll send it out. I'll have it sent out to you, uh, the people who have participated in this. You might enjoy that. A process of releasing them releases me. It is a process of healing Built on that model that I used right at the beginning, the adaptation of the Maslow model. Step 10 is about developing conscience. That's an awareness of the principles and my disturbance when I transgress them. This is the point of emotions. Emotions are critically important for us to feel them and to be aware of them because they will tell us when we're experiencing joy and they will tell us when we're experiencing suffering. And that's the only way we can navigate life is to pay attention. One of the mantras of one of my friends. It's all he, it's all he almost ever says, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. Because we know that when we pay attention We become aware, we become aware of pain and we become aware of our responsibility, our consciousness to move away from the pain and move toward the light. We move toward the light because that's how we're built, to be conscious. We move toward helping others because that's how we're built, to be in relationship of contribution. Aware accept action daily intentional conscience daily intentional consciousness daily intentional compassion. So here's a practice. It's a suggestion. I like to end with something very practical. Happiness a daily practice a commitment to intentional consciousness. Most of you know, I wrote, I was asked to write a book by Hazleton on meditation, which they published in 2017, called Practicing the Here and Now. And in the preparation of that, I came up with the term, because I was looking at prayer, I was looking at meditation, I was looking at contemplation, transcendental meditation, mindfulness, and I said, what do they all have in common? What's the biggest word I can use as a net to pick up all these areas of practice? Intentional consciousness. Not just consciousness, intentional consciousness. A commitment to create a gratitude list every morning. And the challenge was, I've heard from a speaker, which I recommend to people, not that I do it, but... If you have any problem with positivity versus negativity, create a gratitude list in the morning, but here's a unique approach to it. On that list every morning, put just one thing that you're grateful for, but every morning put something that's not on the list, that's never been on the list. Well, for the first 60, 90 days, you'll have a pretty easy time of it probably but after 90 days you're going to have to be pretty creative and stretch as to what you're grateful what you're grateful for since you don't want to duplicate anything on the list up to that point it will inevitably turn you from the darkness to the light it will inevitably turn you from the negative to the positive prayer i think i have mentioned it in terms of the improvement of our consciousness peppered it throughout our talk today what it does it reduces my defects it increases my virtue because it increases my consciousness prayer does not change god please let's not make god just a superhuman being what a disservice that is god gets too much blame and too much credit i'm serious god does not reward god does not punish at least this is my interpretation our behavior rewards and or punishes us that's what the buddhists call karma it sounds mysterious sometimes it's not it's very practical karma is the consequences of our behavior accumulated on a daily basis Our decisions to take actions have consequences. Those consequences have an accumulative power on a daily basis. The thoughts that I have, the feelings that I have, the attitudes that I have create the decisions that I make, the actions that I take, the consequences that accumulate are my life. Sitting here today, each one of us has the life we have deserved. Yeah, we've earned it. Oh, there have been circumstances and there have been people that have been unfortunate in our life and have created a permanent impact on our lives, irreparable in some cases. That is true. That's history. It's unfortunate. But it's your responsibility to deal with it it's the cards you've been dealt yep can't change your history there's no such thing as fair it is what is deal with it prayer doesn't change god god can't change whatever that reality is it can't change it can't come and go it can't reward or punish it can't change At least this is my concept so why pray because it changes me it improves my consciousness to be more empowered to be more responsible to take different actions to change the things that bring me joy and to eliminate the things that bring me suffering fabulous what about meditation very different meditation is for guidance And power as it says in the step itself, praying for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. And then helpful actions. A commitment notice to intentional consciousness for helpful actions of kindness. At the very least to be kind in the store when the grocery clerk is fumbling or the person in front of me is fumbling. You know what I mean. Or the people on the freeway are just not coordinating with the law, let alone my needs to get someplace. Kindness. Patience. Acceptance of reality as it is. All of that's good. Great. It's an initial first step. It's very necessary. But it won't have much juice unless you hold yourself accountable for all your commitments. What does it mean to hold yourself accountable? It means that I have somebody that I've asked to listen to me once a day or once a week or once a month to report in on how I'm doing. What's my behavior like in contrast to what my list looks like? Step 11 is intentional consciousness. Step 12 is having a sponsor, I believe. Being a sponsor is wonderful. Being a step guide is wonderful. Having a step guide, excuse me, having a sponsor is crucial. An accountability partner that's objective and experienced and will tell me the truth. Not that they're my parent or my disciplinarian that might be important in the first year or two or five, but after we get some traction, some emotional sobriety, some spiritual sobriety, it's really just an objective sounding board, a mirror in which we can look to see what's the truth. All right, so um, let's go to the prayer of St. Francis and listen to it as we pray it. It's a prayer of turning. That's very clear. It's a prayer that is a process. But also listen to the promise, the outcome of turning from our self-centeredness to other centeredness our willingness to be turned our willingness to take the action to turn and our realization that we are turned lord make me a channel of your peace that where there is hatred i may bring love that where there is wrong i may bring the spirit of forgiveness that where there is discord i may bring harmony that where there is error i may bring truth That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. Eckhart Tolle in his Power of Now book said, The secret to life, pretty ominous beginning to a sentence. The secret to life is to die before you die and realize there is no death. The process of steps four through nine is the death of the false self so that the true self can resurrect literally can come out of the tomb and and live a full optimal life, thank
1: you so much for your attendance.